You're tuned in to Grip It and Rip It, sponsored by LB's Meat Market. We're going to get started here in a second, but first, let's hear from LB's. Grip It and Rip It with Brian Scott Rippy is brought to you by LB's Meat Market. LB's, the preeminent butcher shop in Oxford, Mississippi. The place to go for any and all of your meat needs. Just right now, they've got the Lane Train Special, a six-ounce bacon-wrapped filet for $10. they got fresh seafood, grill packs, and a lot of different types of sausages. Put simply, if your grill is in need of meat, the only place to go in Oxford, Mississippi is LB's Meat Market. Give them a call today at 662-259-2999. That's 662-259-2999. Stop by and see them at 2008 University Avenue. That's just across the street from Kroger. It's LB's Meat Market, your butcher shop in Oxford, Mississippi. my knowledge. Derek covers Kentucky for Cat Paws. You can find him on Twitter at Derek Terry. Is that your Twitter handle? I just get Derek S. Terry. Yeah. Excuse me. <laughs> Finally looking it up in live action. Big, Real prepared here. But anyway, go check him out. Does a great job covering Kentucky. What's up, dude? This is the first time we've done a podcast together, right? It is the first time. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. I, uh, I just recorded uh, my podcast, Kentucky Daily, before coming on here, and I was uh, already giving you the plug before uh, <laughs> I logged off there. And actually, I'll be honest, I'll say it right here on your podcast, I wasn't exactly sure how to pronounce your last name. I went with uh, Rippy. I don't know if that was even right. But that's that is correct, and yeah, which is kind of crazy to probably most people listening to this podcast because, like, if I have this weird double name that my parents screwed me with that doesn't make any sense <laughs> that no one understands. And so pretty much everyone calls me Rippy. Like, like I feel like I'm in trouble when someone calls me Brian or Brian Scott or I'm at work. So, like, that's uh, that's kind of like the name I go by. It's one of those last names. Well, I'm glad I pronounced it right. I <laughs> my buddy. I was like, we might have to uh, cut that out. I'm going to talk to him here in a minute. I can figure it out for sure. But I never asked him exactly how to say his last name. So, no, but I'm happy to be on here. I'm happy that there uh, was SEC football to watch last weekend and, so far, it sounds like good news, uh, at least for this upcoming weekend around the league, that there were no outbreaks or anything, to our knowledge. So, should have another fun weekend, I'm sure. Well, let's get the important stuff out of the way. How about the Reds? You would have never thought three weeks ago that you'd be sitting here anticipating a – by the time people listen to this, most people listen to this, the game will probably have started, depending on when you listen to this. But noon Wednesday, Reds are back in the playoffs. That's, uh, that's pretty nuts because the first part of the season was miserable. I was sending DMs to people telling them that they needed to go ahead and just tank for a few more rockers <laughs> in the season or about anything. And then they, uh, I think I read yesterday, they had won. Oh, man, I don't even remember what the stat was. Basically, though, they've won their last five series. And maybe they'd only won three is the number I'm thinking in my head the whole year prior to that. So, yeah, even like three weeks ago, it looked very unlikely that they could do this kind of run. And for me, I'm 26. This will just be the – uh, fourth time I've watched them play in the postseason. And one of those times was 2013 when they only made the wild card. So, of course, this year, three-game series instead of just one like normal. But uh, I like the matchup. I'm sure you probably got a few people listening to this who might be Braves fans down there in the South. But uh, Tons of them, dude, surrounded them. by them. 
Well, so I'm going to be in the minority then probably. <laughs> I don't know why you'd have too many Reds fans down that way, but I, I grew up going to Reds games. So I uh, watched a lot of over the last few years uh, during the rebuild or whatever you want to call it. And even this year, I don't know. It looked bad for a while. I thought maybe they just needed to tear it down again and start over. But luckily they made the playoffs and uh, new tomorrow. I'll be looking forward to it, tuning in. It'll be something good to – you know, have right off the bat to start the day because I felt like it was a good enough series, and I don't know what all the TV slots are, but I felt like it was a good enough series. It could have gotten some prom time action, but as it is, I won't complain. For sure, dude. With the last thing I'll say for about that before we get to, like, the actual game we're paid to talk about was it's interesting you say that, though, in North Mississippi, I, I noticed this when I did that Reds internship with MLB. They yeah. gave me, like, a login so I could watch the team until I got done with school and it would never let me watch the Reds games at my house in Oxford. And I was like, what the hell is going on? Like, why is this blacked out? Turns out the Oxford, Mississippi, all, as best I can tell, basically to Batesville, maybe a little further south, is in the Reds TV broadcast network. Who would have ever guessed that? So you can get Reds games on cable in Oxford, Mississippi. Is that Jeff Brantley pulling strings down there? It may be, dude. It may be. The Cowboy may have a, may have a say in that. But I just found that shocking. So you're in... You're in Reds, Cardinals, and Braves footprint down there, which is not a bad deal for fans, I don't guess, but I just found that odd. No, that is. Uh, I was, uh, you know, I think you, for me, obviously, with the journalism stuff, you're, you know, you're not, you don't need to be a fan covering it, so I don't know how good of a job I would have done, but I, I thought the MLB internship was one of the coolest things. Uh, it would have been a fun thing to do in college, and you happened to cover – uh, they weren't very good that year, were they, Brian? What year did you have in 2018? Yeah, and so, so, uh, Brian Price was already gone. They just uh, hired Riggleman, but they okay. had that weird stretch where they acquired Harvey, and then they were kind of good for, like, three weeks and then stunk again, so they were an interesting bad team. They were. That, I remember that summer. I was actually, believe it or not, out of all the years that I've watched here recently when they were, you know, bad, like, that was the most fun year that I had. They started off so bad. I think they were, like, 3-18. and 18. Like you said, Price got fired, and then – that summer they went like twenty one and nine, I think, over a stretch. There was some talk that Jim Riggleman might be the guy for the job. They ended up going with David Bell, who I was very critical of pretty much up here until recently. He's he's done a really good job down the stretch. I'll tip my hat to him. But that actually I don't feel like it was a horrible season to cover those guys. Uh really. I mean, obviously they didn't have that was pre Sonny Gray and Castellanos, Mustakas, all the guys they have now. You had what, like Jose or yeah, Perez or Peraza, excuse me. I already forgot the guy's name. You had Peraza, Suarez. Tucker Barnhart, guys like that. But Harvey was probably they were, not, not yeah, a great. Yeah, they were fascinating. Like, if nothing else, like, they really went, spent big in free agency and all that the year after I left, of course. But, like, they were just, they were fascinating enough. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't too, too bad. But, um, speaking of fascinating, this is an interesting game we have on our hands this weekend because I was kind of stumping for Kentucky all offseason. Like I'd, I'd read some of the stuff you had written, and we had just kind of talked through various things, you know, yeah. throughout the offseason about how this is probably going to be one of, if not Stoops' most talented team at UK. And they play at the same time as Ole Miss did last week, and the house I was at watching the game had the two-TV thing going, and Kentucky was actually getting the second screen treatment. So I was somewhat tuned into it, but no, I wouldn't say 100% locked in. Yeah. Just general thoughts, what happened? Because I kind of liked them to go in there and possibly win. I did too. I actually picked Kentucky to win. A lot of, to be honest, a lot of the UK media contingency did, and some national guys did too. Uh, 
biggest thing most that I could point to were two just devastating turnovers. Both, uh, well, one didn't technically go down as a turnover, but it it really allowed the game to get out of hand, and that was on a fake punt. But the first turnover happened in the early fourth quarter, about 12 minutes left. Kentucky was on 15 to 13, uh, and they were down by two points because of a weird two point conversion at the beginning of the game. After Kentucky went up 7 0, Auburn came back, scored. Kentucky didn't cover the guy on the the way that the format was set up on their special teams play. So Auburn was pretty much gifted a two point conversion. Um, but anyway, Kentucky was down 15 7, came back, scored, didn't get the two point conversion, but they had the ball with the chance to take the lead in the fourth quarter. And it was a third down play in Terry Wilson. Uh, coming back his first game in over a year. He was out all last season, basically, after the second game with a knee injury. He It was like an unforced fumble. He just hit the ball off his own knee. So Auburn didn't even cause the fumble, but that was inside Kentucky's own 30-yard line. They scored a few plays later, and then they tried the fake punt, which was apparently a screw-up in communication with the coaching staff, and uh, Auburn scored again pretty quick to make it twin on 13. I mean, Kentucky ended up outgaining – Auburn, uh, they were 12 for 19 on third downs, like a ridiculous rate, I think, for Kentucky, given the way they typically play. I mean, I can't remember a time Kentucky was over 60% uh, in an SEC game on third down like that and, and didn't win. Uh, they outrushed Auburn. They did a lot of the things I felt like Kentucky needed to do to win that game, but Auburn played clean, no no turnovers, uh, put UK in pretty bad field position twice on Bo Nix punts, although the first time they did that, Kentucky actually had a 93-yard drive to open the game and score. But, you know, I felt like Kentucky's advantages in that game were going to be up front. I don't know that UK really enforced their will as much as they needed to on either side of the ball. They had some guys have some decent games, but really the biggest difference to me, I thought, was just the skill position. Auburn was was definitely better there, especially Seth Williams. He That dude is a monster. I'm sure you guys are much more familiar with him than I am because Kentucky and Auburn, you know, usually don't play. But uh, Knicks, I thought, made some really good reads, had, had a really good game, and that was pretty much it, though, what I would say. Those two turnovers probably made it seem a little bit worse than what it was. Yeah, and you took it exactly in the direction I was going to go. In my next question was like, so Kentucky outgains them. They complete, I mean, they convert over half of their third downs. They have more first downs. They had more rushing yards, more passing yards, fewer penalties, and won the time of possession. Like, if you didn't show the turnover stats in this game, you'd be like, what the hell happened? And that's how I kind of felt watching it, is every time I feel like I looked up, Kentucky's moving the ball up and down the field on Auburn with relative ease, but then you look at the scoreboard, and it's like, well, they have seven points, and it's almost halftime. They have 13 points, and it's the fourth quarter. Like, what the hell is going on? You mentioned the two turnovers and the, the fake punt. That doesn't even count the one right before halftime, right, where they were oh, yeah. on the little – literally on the one, and then they had to have a review. Like, that could have been a 100-yard, what, fumble recovery, pick six? What was it? I can't remember. Yeah, so it was a really, really interesting sequence for the officials both ways. So Kentucky was on the one first and goal, and Chris Rodriguez, their sophomore running back, like very clearly broke the plane uh, of the goal line. He was like a solid probably yard into the end zone, and they ruled him down short on the field. They reviewed it and everything and still ruled him down. So, like, it was a, it was a really bad call to take points off the board for Kentucky. So it was still second goal, though. Uh, but Kentucky had actually burned a timeout, I think, to get that play reviewed. I don't know why they did. I don't know why it wasn't just reviewed anyway. But on second and goal, they tried to QB sneak, didn't get it. I think they used their last timeout. So on third down, they tried to pass play. And uh, wide receiver uh, Josh Ali actually ran the wrong route and kept his defender in the uh, area of Rodriguez, who was supposed to be catching the ball in the end zone. At least that was the plan on the play. 
and Auburn picked it off, ran it back 100 yards for a touchdown. So they go to their officials go to review that play to make sure he stayed in bounds. And while they're reviewing that, they saw that there was a targeting on the interception return. So you went into halftime with Mark Stoops pissed off that the refs missed a call on a touchdown, which would have put Kentucky up, by the way, 14-8, to eight, and UK was getting the ball to start the third quarter. So, I mean, it was a huge momentum play. And then you get Gus Malzahn giving the interview to Colt Kubelik on the SEC Network that he's mad because he had seven points wiped off the board on a, on a great play on a pick six. So both coaches were pissed off. <laughs> and uh, basically, though, the second half, I and mean, the third quarter remained pretty competitive. Auburn went down and scored to go up 15-7, to seven, but Kentucky marched it right back down the field uh, to score there. and. Uh, but, no, those, those were two really big plays. and I think that was probably the thing that got the most attention in that game from what I could see on Twitter was, uh, I mean, it was, it was like the third headline on uh, ESPN all day was that Auburn had a 100-yard interception return negated by uh, what, what I think some people thought. I'm sure Auburn fans didn't like the targeting call. Although, to me, uh, with the two reviews, the targeting call was much more clear. Or, yeah, sorry, than the uh, – I mean, the touchdown it was an obvious touchdown. Both ways I thought were pretty obvious. Yeah, and for someone who may or may not have had a small financial interest in Kentucky, try figuring out that whole halftime sequence without volume on the TV. I'm sitting there going, what in the hell is going on, and how is this happening before halftime? But to your point, like just kind of encapsulating the encapsulating thought on this game is, is it possible to lose by 16 points and feel like you may possibly have been at least equal, if not the better team? Like, that, what a weird game. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of... What people like to say whenever weird things happen, and they certainly did that game, is you know that's that's just Kentucky football. Kentucky in its history has had a lot of things, strange things happen. Um, that was a weird game because I think you had a lot of pissed off fans on Saturday who really felt like the you know the team let a chance get away, and I would agree with that. But I think as people, it's how it always is. You know how it is with fans. Like come Friday, people will be fired up again. But I think people are starting to come around to the fact that, hey, Kentucky did a lot of good things in that game. And a lot of the criticism after the game revolved around Terry Wilson. But Terry, like I said, hadn't played in a game in over a year. He completed 24, 37 passes. He had the bad interception on the end zone. I mean, that was a big thing. Both of his turnovers were very noticeable and came at very bad moments. So, But still, if you would have told me coming into this year, not having any kind of tune-up game. I mean, he opened the season with Auburn, which I'm – expecting to have, you know, one of the better defenses in the league again this year. They just typically do. You know, he came out facing SEC defense that is typically really good. Didn't get to play at Toledo or in Eastern Michigan or any of those MAC schools that Kentucky usually opens with. And I thought he played a pretty good game overall, things considered. I think you want to see, you know, improvement from him, especially in the turnover area this weekend. But uh, there were some good things. And the interesting thing to me, and I'm sure we'll talk about it here in a minute, but like, most people here, I think, had certainly penciled this game, and even Mississippi State the following weekend, in as they thought, you know, Kentucky would probably be the better team in these matchups. And UK is favored this weekend, but people saw those offensive numbers that Ole Miss put up against Florida, and they saw what Mississippi State did to LSU. And all of a sudden, I think the attention on these next two games went from, you know, hey, you know, Kentucky's probably going to win these to like, man, there's not going to be an easy game at all <laughs> this season. And the man largely in which this game upcoming this weekend hinges upon the most, like the guy that's going to have the single most impact, is Terry Wilson. And I think Kentucky's quarterback situation is fascinating because you mentioned Wilson gets a lot of scrutiny after the game. But for what he is, and I say what he is, what 
the people who definitely don't follow Kentucky on a daily basis have seen from him his 2018 season. Obviously, he played four games last year. If I remember correctly, his final one against State or close to it, he was kind of a lame duck. Like, he just did not look healthy at all. But for what you've seen from him is – He played two yeah. games, and then uh, Sawyer Smith played two, and he got injured. That's right. So. That's right. And so, so you kind of see – like, that's just kind of what he is. Like, if Kentucky – if he's 24 of 37 – for 239, a touchdown, for the sake of the exercise, swipe the turnover, you probably think Kentucky has a chance in most of the games they're going to play with the way the team's yeah. constructed, right? Yeah, I, w- I would completely agree with that. I mean, probably, I would say Kentucky doesn't even want to throw the ball that many times. That was probably, like I said, it was a career high. I'm trying to think of the last time, probably last year. I know they threw it 42 times at South Carolina, but they got down. And you were talking about, you know, the lame duck thing, Sawyer Smith. Like, that was the game that afterwards they knew they had to go a different direction. And that's when Lynn Bowden became the quarterback. So, those numbers that Terry put up, yeah, no question. I think if you get that most weeks, Kentucky will be pretty happy with that. So, but the other side of this coin is the former Auburn transfer, Joey Gatewood, to my knowledge, from what I've read on, has not been there's not been a ruling on his eligibility. Is that correct? Or was he the kid? I can't remember if it was him or Mays where the NCAA declared him eligible with the SEC. What is the deal with Joey Gatewood right now? So Mays has confirmed that the NCAA cleared him. UK has not confirmed that he's cleared with the Gatewood that is, is cleared with the NCAA, but he is. Like I've got a source that's told me that. So Mays and Gatewood are both in the same situation where the SEC, you know, interconference rule, whatever you want to say. Otis Reese, I believe, as well, right? That old Miss is dealing with it as the same issue. So all Correct, these- although it, from at least everything Ole Miss is saying, that they yeah. don't even know if he's eligible with the NCA. But the same oh. boat, this whole same boat of why in the hell is this happening when this yeah. year doesn't actually count against anyone's eligibility yeah. is really yeah. just – I mean, that's a conversation for another day, but it's really just, just – I would say upsetting from the point of view of the kids and, you know, everyone that would want quote unquote the best for them. But at the same time, like what did that do to Kentucky's quarterback picture? Like Gatewood, all things considered, let's just say in a normal world is cleared spring, summer, whatever. Is he the starting quarterback? I think it's hard to say one thing about UK staff and I will actually, you know, I guess say that I genuinely believe this, like they're a pretty loyal coaching staff. And I think, all offseason, you know, Gatewood transferred to Kentucky, committed in December. But even back then, I mean, at the time, I think he was kind of viewed as the next guy after Terry. That Terry would come back healthy. Well, one, there was some talk that Terry's injury, you know, it was a patellar tendon, which guys in the NBA who have sustained that injury, I'm thinking Andre Roberson of the Thunder. I, I don't know if he's even come back from that yet. Like, there was pretty – concerning uh, statistical, you know, medical records on that kind of injury, whether a guy could come back or not. But Terry was able to. So all fall, the thought was that Terry was going to be the quarterback. Where Joey, I think, came into play and where he probably could have helped them at Auburn was those packages you could use for him around the goal line where he's such a bigger – like Terry Wilson, yeah, he's like a dual threat kind of guy, but he's not He's not very big. I mean, he's like six foot three, but to me, he looked even skinnier than he used to uh, after a year off. So, like He's not going to be a guy who – basically you get the ball to the three yard line and he's not going to move a pile or anything. Whereas Gatewood at six foot four, I think he's listed around two thirty at UK. He's bigger, uh, stronger than Wilson could have maybe had a play called for him instead of uh, the quarterback sneak with Wilson. So in that area, I think he would have helped them. But to be completely honest with you, the guy who I heard the most about this fall was their true freshman quarterback, Bo Allen from Lexington Catholic, the local kid who I had just kind of viewed as a guy that like the natural, 
trajectory of this thing for Kentucky would be Wilson this year, Gatewood for two years, and then Bo Allen for the next two. And that was before the NCAA, you know, made this ruling where kids have a basically a free year. Um, but that's that's kind of the weird thing about all this is if you would have asked me three months ago, like I would have probably told you Gatewood might have had a chance to compete. Whereas now it's like I'm not so, I'm not so sure that even if Gatewood gets eligible, like what they would do if something happened to Terry. I honestly think they might go with Bo Allen at this point. But in the short term, and I don't think it's going to matter this weekend. I don't think there will be a ruling. But if Gatewood does get eligible, I definitely see him playing in some situations, but not as a full-time guy. What is, again, your mind, Terry Wilson's had an interesting career because he's a senior at this point, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And he has the 2018 season where, I mean, you, the quote-unquote game manager for someone who watched Kentucky at a distance seemed very appropriate with that. What is he as a prospect, and has he reached his ceiling? Is he just kind of is what he is? or Because the flip side of this is where I'm going with this is Ole Miss just got absolutely torched by Florida last weekend. I mean, Kyle Pitts had four touchdowns. Kyle Trask, granted, tough first test for a secondary that was the worst pass defense in the SEC last year. I mean, just got absolutely shredded. No pass rush gave Trask all time to throw. He's probably the most accurate thrower in the SEC. Um, maybe there's an argument for someone else. But just a terrible first matchup. Like, does Wilson have the ability to shred a pretty hapless secondary, particularly if Ole Miss is not able to generate a pass rush? Well, first, let me give you a little kind of an aside about Kyle Trask. Is his first like moment on the big stage was actually against Kentucky last year when Felipe Franks got hurt, and that kid came in and absolutely torched the UK. And like around Lexington, the thought was like, oh, here we go again, like a backup quarterback nobody's ever heard of just shredding this team. But then it actually turned out that Kyle Trask is really good. So good news for Ole Miss fans is UK has nobody on its roster like Kyle Pitts. As a matter of fact, I'm not sure anybody else does in the country. Uh, that kid is unreal. What I would say about Terry is I don't feel like UK's style is going to be anywhere near kind of how Florida is. I mean, Florida, obviously Dan Mullen, like always pretty good offenses. I don't. I didn't get to watch enough. I watched the highlights of that game on YouTube. I didn't get to watch enough to really know how much Florida was trying to run the ball. I can tell you Kentucky's probably – for sure going to run the ball much more. Whereas Florida can get in a track meet with a team like Ole Miss and still come out fine. I don't know that I can say the same about Kentucky. I think UK definitely wants to keep that Ole Miss offense on the sidelines and use what I would say is probably a pretty big advantage up front with Kentucky's offensive line versus that front seven for Ole Miss. So if it gets to the point where you're needing Terry to throw the ball around a ton, I don't, I don't, I don't think I've ever seen enough to suggest that, Hey, you know, he can do this. Same time, I don't know. Maybe Ole Miss's pass defense is is to that point where he could be a kind of guy who could do that. I just don't know that that's going to be UK's plan. And if they do get in that kind of situation where it's a track meet, that's where Kentucky, I can tell you, is not comfortable at all playing those kind of games. So UK is going to want to try to get ahead, lean on that round game, uh, minimize the chances that Corral gets and that Ole Miss offense gets, and try to win the time of possession. Really probably play a lot like they did last week. Yeah, that's a, I mean, you just nailed, I think you just nailed it. It's that this game is going to be won and lost, like, is it, like, with regards to what terms this game is played on. Is it a track meet, as you mentioned, or is it like last week of Kentucky? Because if Kentucky plays like they did last week, minus the turnovers, oh, Miss is probably in a world of hurt, right? With Kentucky being able to run the football, throw it with pretty decent consistency balance-wise, and then possess the football for 37, almost 37 yeah. minutes. Like, that's their recipe to win here, where I'm actually, like, I, I don't disagree that if, if it becomes a shootout advantage Ole Miss, but I don't know what Ole Miss's recipe is because 
Florida ran for like 196 off the top of my head. I don't have it pulled up right now, but the run, the Ole Miss tackled terribly, but the run defense wasn't as much of a problem as their pass defense is a two prong issue. One, they have no ability or depth on the defensive line. I say no depth, no ability to generate a consistent pass rush, which left a secondary that's still trying to figure it out, right? Like Otis Reese would be a starter if he were ruled eligible. You had a kid get ruled eligible late, Dean Leonard. And then you've got some younger guys still just trying to figure it out. Jay Stanley, A.J. Finley, and just a nightmarish matchup in terms of, you know, Trayvon Grimes and Pitts the first week. But, like, they're also having increased stress put on them because Ole Miss could not get to the quarterback. And they had Sam Williams miss most of the offseason with a well-documented off-the-field issue that he eventually, I don't want to say cleared, misspeak. He's back with the team. He played a little bit. The kid that they talked about all offseason, Brandon Mack, didn't play because apparently he just had an injury. And no one really seemed to notice that until after the game. And so they weren't at full strength, and they have guys trying to work their way back into shape. And so that's that's where this thing is going to get won and lost, is Ole Miss, can they get pressure on Wilson? But Wilson's also not a guy that wants to sit back and take a lot of drops and kind of go through three, four reads. Like, most of Kentucky's passing game is pretty quick-hitting stuff, isn't it? Yeah, a lot of short passes on Saturday. Um, Especially those first few were were very quick hitters and screens uh, that were pretty well-timed. They, I did see an emphasis more this year as opposed to recent years to get the ball to the running backs in the passing game. I think A.J. Rose had like, I don't have the stats pulled up in front of me, but I think he had five catches the other day. Colossia Smoke had at least one as a running back. I think Chris Rodriguez might have had one as well. So there was a bigger emphasis there to get those guys involved. But in general, like the weakest part of Kentucky's team pretty undoubtedly is a passing game. At least that's the biggest question mark still. And I don't I don't know. It, it wasn't good enough on Saturday for me to think that it's been solved by any means. Um, but I, I think that they have some guys by the end of the year who might be better. But, you know, Mark Stoops publicly said that, you know, the effort well, – not, not the effort, I shouldn't say that. The execution more so by the wide receivers was not good enough against Auburn. I don't know what kind of adjustments they're going to make this week. Um I would think it's an easier challenge. I mean, and, and again, I try to come on to these kind of shows and I talk to other people like, I'm not an expert on Ole Miss. I, that's, that's you guys. Like, I'm not – I can kind of tell you what UK wants to do. I'm just speaking here. I hope I'm not wrong. Like, I would just assume that Ole Miss's defense is, is not going to be as good as Auburn. So, how – Nowhere close. Yeah. Although, I was shocked by how rough Auburn's defensive line looked because that was kind of their calling card. And Kentucky kind of manhandled up front. Maybe that's more of a testament to what you keep talking about with Kentucky's offensive line, but you're used to seeing these menacing Auburn defensive lines, and you just didn't see a whole lot of that. No, you know, they, they had some some big names for plays. I was, you know, Auburn's sure. were good, and I think their DBs were, were okay. They had some buzz. I mean, UK had a few plays. I think, like, when we talk about big plays, I felt like just from watching a little bit of that Florida Ole Miss game, that's where, you know, even even a guy like Kadarius Tony, who we've not even mentioned, you know, you mentioned Grimes and, and Pitts. Like, UK doesn't even have a guy like Tony either. Like, that kind of game breaker who's just a fast guy who you get on the ball, he can make some plays for you. Like, what I'm trying to say is, like, that's definitely the weak point. And Kentucky is not a quick-hitting offense like Florida. You know, Florida can score two, three plays. I mean, Kentucky is not that kind of offense. Like, it's very methodical. I think both those scoring drives, one against Auburn was 11 plays. The other was at least seven or eight plays. So, Which underscores how important establishing pace is in this yeah. one. Well, that and like just the big thing too, like for UK to focus on this week is, yeah, we've talked about how 
you know, how brutal Kentucky's turnovers were. Like, Kentucky didn't force any turnovers. As a matter of fact, they didn't really even come close. Like, they didn't do a good enough job against Nick. Stephen put him in kind of throwing situations where he might have to take a few shots. Uh, you know, Kentucky did a pretty good job on the ground game. I don't know what Ole Miss did on the ground. I mean, I, I would think uh, early, right? That's the kid's name, Ely. Yeah, Jerry on Ely, the five-star Ely. kid kind of home. It was interesting watching him last week. You know, he made this name for himself last year as a home run hitter, which is exactly what he is as a backup. I mean, you miss a couple with a tackle, you know, maybe two, and he, he's gone. And he was running a little bit patiently. I thought almost too patiently last week to the point where he almost looked a step slow, which yeah. wasn't the case. I think he was just being too patient. Got a little bit loose in the second half. I think he finished with like 80 yards on 15 carries. But I, I would definitely look for a better week from him this week. But you didn't see the explosiveness you saw it so many times last year. That was kind of the thing. Like Auburn's running backs were kind of going by committee last week against Kentucky. And none of those guys had really good games. Almost, I actually want to say Bo Nix ended up being their leading rusher last week. Um, so Ely, he'll be a good challenge. But I know Moore had a good game. I, uh, you know, I don't know all those wide receivers for Ole Miss. I'm not going to. Act like it's, I do. I, I just think that, like, another area of Kentucky's team that was kind of hyped up, and it was really misleading, and I was saying this on my podcast, that it was a very misleading stat. Like, Kentucky finished second last year in pass defense. But what that didn't take into account was that they played four games last season. Four out of their 12 regular season games were played in the rain. Uh, and then it was just kind of a wacky year for the SEC East. Like, South Carolina played a backup quarterback. Tennessee's quarterback situation was all thrown off. Uh, Mississippi State even was playing a backup quarterback when UK played them. So, like, a lot of those uh, games kind of aligned to not needing teams to throw against Kentucky, whereas that was supposed to be a strength this year. But then you saw Auburn. I think Knicks went for over 230 yards. And, like, it was it was pretty easy. Honestly, it was a little too easy, <laughs> I would say, for what he did. And that, I think, is where people are worried around here for this weekend is that you see those numbers that Ole Miss just put up and that, if you get into a case where your defense is down on the field too much, that, you know, just stopping uh, Ole Miss is, is probably the biggest worry. Whereas on the flip side, I think there is some confidence that Kentucky can kind of, uh, kind of play their kind of game and slow it down, keep Ole Miss off the field as much as they can. And uh, probably pretty similar to what they did in 2017 for people who remember that game. Of course, Ole Miss came out on top. But I think, you know, Kentucky got up double digits in the second half and had a chance to really enforced their kind of play but didn't do it and i don't know i don't want to compare that was the definition of stealing a win yeah the way that game ended yeah it was a great play i mean uh was was that metcalf actually who made that play it was dk metcalf a uh, a sophomore dk metcalf i know nobody cares about the fantasy stuff i ain't gonna talk about too much but i'm (laughs) the who uh he didn't didn't finish that touchdown the other day kind of hurt me a little bit in fantasy but (laughs) i'm like that's actually uh I doubt too many Ole Miss fans are going to be familiar. That, that was actually Lonnie Johnson, who he caught that ball over, who starts for the Houston Texans. So uh, that ended up being a future uh, really good matchup, two NFL guys going after it, and uh, Matt Calf came down with it. That was, a, that was a fun game, by the way. That was one of the better games Kentucky played in that season. Back in That was a fun I game, and that was really that really sprung Matt Luke's momentum to get the job that he was not qualified for. Yeah. Is them after that – because remember, they, they coughed away in ex- inexplicable fashion – to Arkansas the week before in a game that like Burt was a dead man walking yeah. and you're thinking they're just going to roll over and they come back and win that game. That was a, uh, that was a fascinating game for a lot of reasons, but the, the wide receiver thing you bring up is interesting because Ole Miss last year, the incompetence of Rich Rodriguez's scheme has been well-documented on this podcast 
and everyone else. They were excited to see him get out of there, but it was really force-feeding Elijah Moore to the football in the slot and no one else. And last week was a little bit of that. I mean, more hell, he ended up with a rather quiet 10 catches for 227, if that's even possible. But they had another kid, Dontario Drummond, that approved to be competent, and their tight end, Kenny Aboa, was okay. But if you're making me rank like storylines going into this game, it's one, Wilson, two, probably the pace of this thing, and three, like, do old Mr. receivers kind of follow up on that? Because them not having a secondary option to more made them ridiculously predictable and easy to defend in the passing game. And that's probably another interesting area of this game is does – Ole Miss have the weapons and the deep threat to complement more. Yeah, I mean, I think Kentucky, I would say, is susceptible to the pass. Like, I think one thing, if I just had to guess Lane Kiffin's style, like maybe it's just the way the game played out and Auburn didn't have to take too many chances. I feel like Auburn – or sorry, I feel like Ole Miss might be a little bit more greedy in the pass game. They might try to go for a few more big plays than what Auburn did. I mean, Auburn kind of had the defense to – they knew that they weren't going to give up too many points, I don't think, to Kentucky, whereas I don't know that Ole Miss has that same luxury of, of keeping the keeping it as a low-scoring game. But, you know, Kentucky, for, for their secondary, a very hyped-up guy was Kelvin Joseph, who transferred in from LSU. He's actually their highest-rated player on the roster. If you go by high school recruits, he was in the composite. He was a top-50 player. Uh, and you don't get many guys like that uh, to U.K., so I think a lot of people thought he was a bit of a letdown in week one, but he was also the guy who had to go up against Seth Williams, and that guy is going to make most DBs look not so good. So uh, I don't know who's going to draw that matchup with more. Um, I was happy to see. I, it's really funny. Like It's not going to be funny, I guess, to some people, but like I saw that name the other day, and I was like, man, that sounds really familiar, Elijah Moore. And then I remembered, oh, yeah, the Egg Bowl this past year. That was that guy. who The uh, piss talked, and miss. Yeah, he talked about the financial uh, – aspect of it earlier that was that was me last year last uh <laughs> on that end of it just uh, an unbelievable way to end that game uh but no i'm happy for him that he came out first game since then right and uh he's moving on he's moving on had a big game against florida how, how much of those yards brian was that uh was he doing that pretty consistently throughout the game or did that come when the game was kind of decided those numbers dude he he's really good he's a fantastic route runner and Ole Miss shockingly if you can be less creative than Rich Rodriguez I'd like to see someone try Ole Miss was a lot more creative in the ways that they used him and getting the ball in space sometimes almost like a running back but he's really good he's by far their best offensive weapon he's he's every bit as good as advertised it's just what behind him to compliment him will kind of determine his ceiling well, I'll say this. Pretty much one player beat Kentucky last weekend with Seth Williams. So I wouldn't put it off the table for this weekend. And, I mean, I like that complimentary piece of Ely uh, as a kind of an explosive guy. He, he's just the kind of player that I've watched for years give Kentucky trouble. Um, but what I don't know a whole lot about, and uh, maybe we can talk about it tomorrow when I come on my show, but I, I would think the advantage for Kentucky is definitely going to be up front. Uh, sounds like from what you're saying, the Ole defense – has some problems. So I would think Kentucky will give a heavy, heavy dose to Cavassier Smoke and A.J. Rose and those other running backs and probably try to run for – shoot, I don't know. I'm sure they'll try to – I mean, they had some games last year, which granted there were no passing uh, games last year when Slim Bowden became quarterback. But they had multiple games over 500 yards rushing. I'm sure they'll try to push for at least 300 on Saturday. And if they can get that, then I'm sure they'll be in good shape. But if Ole Miss can put up a little bit of resistance there and get Kentucky in some passing situations, that's where I think the – the chances of Ole Miss getting out of there with the win become much higher. That's where I was about to ask the next question I had written down on this very loose script that I uh, have on a pen and paper in front of me was most da- like gun to your head, most dangerous weapon Kentucky has skill wise. 
Yeah, that's like that's what I'm trying to say is like the, the, there is nobody that it's I think really that much of a committee deal. It really is. Like Josh Ali is their number one wide receiver, but and he had a good game. He had nine catches, ninety eight yards. But like I think on a on a good team, Josh Ali is probably like a at best a number two and more likely a number three. Like there is no Lynn Bowden this year. There's no Benny Snell to worry about. I, it really is about committee. I, all three of those running backs are, are, are really good, and they all kind of have their own roles. Like, their numbers were good last year. They split a lot of time. Like, I think Ole Miss is coming in here at a time that if you tune into a Kentucky game, maybe week seven or week eight, like, you will see new faces playing um, for Kentucky at wide receiver because I think eventually they're going to go to a little bit of a youth movement there. Um, but if there was one guy, I guess I would say Akeem Hayes, he was someone that we hadn't really talked about a ton. He was just a freshman, a uh, redshirt freshman last year. And, of course, they got to the point where they weren't really throwing the ball. And he's he's like a small guy. I think he only weighs like 155 pounds. So he's not someone you would be using <laughs> run blocking. Uh, but he, he made the most of his opportunities. His numbers were nothing special. He only had two catches. But both of those went for really good plays. His first catch was a 16-yard reception. And then later that drive, he beat his man one-on-one, scored a touchdown with a really nice diving catch. So he might be a guy, after the performance that he put on last weekend, they might try to look for him more. And it sounds like, uh, honestly, the one guy, you know, we were talking about Kyle Pitts. Like, Kentucky has a tight end and Keaton Upshaw, who did not get a single target last week, who, like, looks the part more than any other tight end I can ever remember at Kentucky. He's 6'6", about 250, and he's, he's legitimately fast. So I think there's definitely going to be more of an effort to kind of force him the ball a little bit more this weekend. So what I'm trying to say is if you looked at the numbers from last week and you're trying to pick a guy, like, I don't know that it's really going to be somebody off that page. Like, I don't think there's one guy from Kentucky that's just, like, going to be like, man, how did we not stop this kid? Like, if we would have stopped him, we would have won. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's going to be pretty balanced. And that's just how it's going to have to be, I think, for Kentucky this year because a lot of the skill position talent that they've recruited, and this is what I wrote yesterday in my column, like, Kentucky's done a good job reaching the point where up front they can, they can compete against some of the best schools. They can hold their own anyway. I'm not going to say they're better than every other team, but – the offensive line would probably have a case as being one of the best units in the country, but where they've not recruited well and it shows up on paper is, is just the skill positions. And they're starting to get caught up in that now. Some of their best commits in this, in the senior class coming up are wide receivers who are rated pretty high, at least for Kentucky standards, four-star type kids. So it's going to be a little bit longer, I think, for Kentucky until they get to that point. So this year I would expect more, especially this weekend, look for those running backs to get the majority of the work. Kind of one last macro thought before I let you get out of here. This is a wildly fascinating game for Kentucky in this revamped schedule because it's a game they should win if they play well, right? They're favored by a touchdown, and that's right in the or six and a half, whatever it is, right in the Vegas zone to where if you, you know, you play well and you do what you're supposed to do, you win the game. You know, if, if you sleepwalk through it, you're probably going to get beat. With what Mississippi State did in week one, and who knows what the hell to actually make of that? Like, I mean, the kid. I mean, Costello threw for 600 yards and five touchdowns in a half-full Death Valley. Like, there's so much just weirdness to that. Not discounting it by any means. I just don't know necessarily what to make of it. And you get Mississippi State at home next week, and then you go at Tennessee and Georgia. This is a pivotal game for Kentucky because just hypothetically, if Ole Miss were able to kind of pull off the quote-unquote upset here, you're looking at a really, really scary next three weeks for Kentucky, are you not? Yeah, yeah, that's that's kind of what I was starting to get at earlier. Is like if you would have even going back like last week when we were looking like me and my uh, 
co-host of my show, Sean Smith, when we were talking, it was like I, I picked them to beat Auburn. Like I thought there was a, a good chance they could start off three and zero when they get, went to Knoxville. Um, and really, a lot of the thought that I put into that, and what pretty much proved to not be the case, was I just thought that a lot of these schools would have struggled without, you know, one. Mississippi State obviously has a new coaching staff. Ole Miss does as well. And, like, I don't know – I don't think Mississippi State even practiced at all in the spring, if I remember right. I might be wrong. They might have practiced once or twice. But, like, I thought none of that work in the summer um, would – I thought that would hurt those schools. And I just really thought Kentucky's continuity as a coaching staff and as a veteran team would really pay off. And now, like you're saying, you reach a point this weekend, if they lose to Ole Miss this weekend, you're looking at three straight most likely ranked opponents in Mississippi State, Tennessee, and Georgia. I have a really hard time thinking they can beat Georgia under any circumstance now that JT Daniels is cleared. I mean, unless they're – if their quarterback situation's as bad as it looked like it was Saturday, then okay, maybe. But I'm assuming Georgia's going to get a lot better between now and then. So, it, I mean, it, it became a must-win when they lost to uh, Auburn and you saw what some of those other schools did. I'm not ready to write off any of those other games. Uh, I think Tennessee, they've just – I don't know how many – Old Miss fans really know this, but like that series is about as one-sided as any series in the SEC. Um, Kentucky's only won twice in the last 35 years. So, and they've not won in Knoxville at all since 1984. So that's a game you go into the season pretty much chalking up as a loss until you see otherwise. And Mississippi State, for as much as UK fans want to say that, you know, they're kind of on the same kind of playing field. And I would, I would agree with that in the sense that like in the grand scheme of the SEC, like, yeah, Kentucky and Mississippi State are pretty comparable probably most years in the power rankings where they end up. But Mississippi State, I think, has won like 8 out of 10 against Kentucky. So this is the game, and you take it week by week for sure. If they lose this game, that's when it becomes like maybe midseason. You see like wholesale not, – not changes like to the coaching staff, nothing like that. But in terms of like you have a senior quarterback, if things aren't going well with him, you probably make a move there. If you have upperclassmen, like basically you start building for the future. And UK's best recruiting classes have been the last few. So you would think that a lot of the talent on this team – uh, and they do have some talent in the upper class for sure, but you would think it would probably become a point where, you know, you go from having somewhat, and I always thought they were kind of long shots for sure, but there were thoughts that maybe this team could be a dark horse for the East. That goes out the window with the loss this weekend. It's probably probably done anyway, honestly, just given that they're not going to have the offense to really beat the best teams on their schedule. Um, but I think a 6-4 and four type season was still doable, but that's not going to be doable unless you win this game. and. Really, it might be a long shot now, too, given the way Mississippi State looked. But I'm kind of with you in regards to the Bulldogs. I kind of want to see them. Maybe you won't get a very good test of it this weekend since they're playing Arkansas. But I want to see if that is kind of sustainable, what they did uh, against them. And I think UK is for sure going to be their next good test because uh, Arkansas is not going to put up much resistance, I don't think, against that uh, area. Yeah. When you start ranking teams, and to your point, because like the last macro question I had for you is you mentioned Kentucky's future. Like I was going to ask a simplistic one about what it is, and you talk about them being a dark horse in the East in a year where Georgia's coming off a quarterback transition. Florida ends up with more votes to beat them. Like, does Kentucky, were they? could you make an argument they were one of the teams that kind of got, I hate to say it like this, but like most disserviced by the whole COVID FCC schedule change thing? Because normal offseason, normal world, like they probably were a little bit of a dark horse. Because to your point, they're not you're not starting off at Auburn. Were they even going to play Auburn? I would think not, right? Like that hadn't been an added in opponent. Like 
that seems in a year where Stoops had a lot of talent, a senior quarterback, that seems to have really done a disservice. And like, you can't, you can't blame it on anything. It's a global pandemic. But like, if you're putting a power rankings together about who got screwed the most by this revamped schedule and not normal world, Kentucky's got to be up there. Where it hurt Kentucky was just that, it, I guess it was good in the sense preseason that you get Ole Miss at home. Like, I think most people thought that's going to be a win. Where it was bad is that uh, Auburn was already on the schedule, but Alabama <laughs> was added. So they have road games at Alabama, at Auburn, at Tennessee, and uh, at Florida. That was the other team I was looking for. So, like, you're playing four of your best teams on your schedule on the road this year. And that's where, I mean, I don't have everybody's schedule in front of me. I would think that's that's maybe the toughest road schedule in the country. It's, it's up there. If it's not them, it's probably another SEC team. So – the way I looked at it at the preseason was that it was basically a trade-off. Like, you know you're going to lose at Alabama, but you got a pretty good chance to win at home against uh, Ole Miss and even Mississippi State. And I felt like, you know, up until what I saw on Saturday, that that was probably a likely win. Although, like, what I'm saying, though, is I don't know why I thought that necessarily because I'm sure if you, any Mississippi State people, like, think of UK, they're like, oh, I mean, they pretty much beat UK every year now. At least they did with Dan Mullen. wasn't really the case with Joe Moorhead. But, uh, you know, at this level, like, I think Kentucky – just couldn't really see like if Kentucky next season had this kind of offensive line coming back, I would be much more in favor. Cause I, I really do kind of feel like in some ways, Terry Wilson's kind of just like a placeholder right now for what is perceived to be better talent and a guy like Joey Gatewood or Bo Allen, but they'll have a young offensive line next season, or at least an experienced offensive line, maybe not a young offensive line. They have some guys in the program, but it'll be a defense that should have a lot of guys back that should still be pretty good. Um, a lot of the wide receivers will be back, plus they recruited some better ones. So, like, I actually – like, this is not a kind of a one-year, like, top-shot deal for Kentucky. Uh, I think that's probably the good takeaway from this year. And another thing, too, I don't know how much you guys have talked about it. Like, just how, like, how do you view a season like this anyway in a pandemic-type year when you're playing a much more difficult schedule than you normally would? Like, how, what, what do the results of this really mean? And will they matter five years from now? Like, how will this season be viewed? Yeah, it's different for every school. And for like a school like Ole Miss that had no spring, like you mentioned earlier, needed the state, it's just be fun and competent. Where it's almost more interesting is schools that have continuity, like like Kentucky and everyone. So like for Ole Miss, really, it was hard to formulate any expectations. It's just be fun and don't be a train wreck. It's pretty much the only <laughs> expectations you could place. But, dude, I appreciate the time. This was great stuff. I think this is going to be a fascinating game this weekend, like how it plays out. It's hard to get a feel in anything in this – you know, COVID season, whatever the hell you want to call this that we're going through. But, like, I think it's going to be fascinating. And I uh, I appreciate the insight. Derek Terry, Derek S. Terry on Twitter. Check him out. Um, D- Kentucky Daily Podcast. We'll reconvene this and run this back one more time tomorrow night. I appreciate the time, dude. Good talking to you. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Uh, it was good catching up with you. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried and true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.